I hope everyone is doing well this morning. It's good to see you. I hope uh, you're finding ways to stay warm. Uh, I believe uh, one of the signs down in Columbia on the way up this morning showed that it was 11 degrees. That's just it's not right. I thought you know, we're in the south. It's not supposed to get this cold. But, but I hope you're staying warm, and I hope that, you're, um, that your daily Bible reading is going well. If you're visiting with us, the, uh, the elders at the congregation here decided that as a congregation uh, for the first six months of this year, we would all read through the New Testament together. We have a book that we're, uh, that we're using to help us as we study, and I hope that, uh, that everyone's daily readings are going well. We've, uh, I, I know I found them enjoyable. We've tried to do them with the girls as often as we can, but as you can imagine, sometimes with a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, the attention span isn't quite there. Uh, with some of these lengthy readings that we have from the book of Luke. But our lesson this morning is going to come from uh, one of the readings that we did this past week. And again, as I directed you to Luke chapter 15, if you don't mind, let's read together from, uh, from the book of Luke, and then we'll look at some lessons, some things that we can apply to our lives. Beginning in Luke chapter 15, in verse 1, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture and go after the one until he finds it? When he has, fi- when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what man, if he has ten silver coins and loses one, does... What man? What woman? You're wondering what version I'm reading from, aren't you? Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said to them, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that that country, and he became impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and sent him, who sent him into the field to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, or when he came to himself, He said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, 
and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the Son of Mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. All of Luke 15, this entire chapter, is spoken in three parables, but it's spoken as an answer to the accusation of the Pharisees that we saw back in verse 2. The fact that Jesus was receiving sinners and he was eating with them. Verse 1 says that all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. And Jesus was making a place for them. He was accepting them and he was sitting down and he was eating with them and he invited them to stay. Incidentally, in Luke uses this word receive. Now the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. This word receive literally means an, an eagerness or eagerly awaiting for their coming. You see, what Jesus was doing, he wasn't being, being passive. He was eagerly awaiting, he was eagerly accepting these sinners to come and to sit with him and to stay with him and to eat with him. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they accused him. How could he sit and eat with the sinners? And so what Jesus does is, as he so oftentimes does, he tells these three parables to answer their accusation. Verses 3 through 7, he explains to them that he is receiving sinners like a shepherd who finds his lost sheep and he celebrates with all of his friends. In verses 8 through 10, he, he explains to them that he is like a woman, I got it right, he is like a woman who has lost a coin and has found it and she celebrates with all of her friends. And in both answers, Jesus leaves no doubt as to what he means. He tells the Pharisees that the lost sheep and the lost coin represent lost sinners. And that being found represents this idea of repentance. And that celebration is what happens in heaven and with God and among the angels. But it doesn't appear that they all get it. You know, maybe at this point some of them get it and some of them don't. Jesus is telling them, I welcome sinners because I am the shepherd that is seeking the sheep. I am the woman who is looking for the lost coin. I am the father who is looking for his lost son. You can almost say that Luke 15 is the lost and found section. Because that's exactly what he talks about. We're going to talk this morning about coming to, our, coming to yourself and coming to the Father. We're specifically going to look at verses 11 through 24, the story of the prodigal son. But notice this. Luke 15 is the lost and found section. Because in verse 6, you have this statement, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 9, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Down in verse 24, this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they began to be married. It's a connection between all of these. Something was lost, something was found, and there was a party. There was a lost and found sheep, and they celebrated. There was a lost and a found coin, and they celebrated. There was a lost and a found son, and then they celebrate. You see, Jesus is trying to get through to the Pharisees, and he's trying to get through to us the same idea. There's a lost and a found 
man or woman, and there's a celebration in heaven. There's a lost and a found sinner, and there is rejoicing among the angels of God. It's the lost and found section. I want to tell you, I want to tell you something that I read about that, that you would think would describe absolute, I'm making up a word, I think, lostness. I don't think that's actually a word, but I'm going to use it. Every month in Cook County in Chicago, Illinois, county officials go through and what they do is they have a burial for numerous bodies that have been found. These aren't bodies of someone whose brother died or whose sister died and somebody came forward to claim them. These, they go through and they have this burial of all of these people who have been found on the streets or perhaps in abandoned buildings or in parks. And no one has come forward to claim them. They try to find the next of kin. The medical examiner's office do all they can to try and contact someone, but no one comes forward and says, yes, that person is my uncle, or that person is my cousin, or that person is my friend. No, what these are, are these are people who no one knows about and who no one cares for. And so each month what happens is all of these uh, these bodies are collected and they go to, to the... Um, I believe it was called the Homewood, probably the Homewood Cemetery, I believe. And a trench is dug. Wooden boxes are placed in the trench. They're covered up. And you go on your way. That just seems odd to me. That in a, that in a place as big as Chicago, Illinois, the millions of people that there are there, there are these people who not a single person knows not a single person cares about. Not a single person knows or cares whether they live or whether they're dead. These people are lost among all the millions. When I read about that, I thought, man, surely something can be done about that. I mean, how sad is that to be somebody who when they pass from the church, nobody knows and nobody cares. But when you read about this, when you read about this son, who was truly separated from his father, this is absolute lostness. It's that idea of completely being separated from our father, being completely separated from God. It would be better to die not knowing anybody in Chicago than to die not knowing God. And that's what we're, that's what we're shown here. We're shown a, an image of a son who at one point was attached, and then he lost his way, he lost himself, and then he came back. You see, what's unique about the parable of the prodigal son is that the misery of his lostness is described for us. And then the, then the nature of his repentance is described for us. And then the lavish embrace of his father is described for us in great detail. Because did you notice with the sheep and the, and the coin, we were just told they lost it. Here's what they did. They found it. But with the son, we see the emotion. We see exactly where he goes and where he goes wrong and how he comes back. And now his father reacts to that. Before we continue looking at the lost son, can we go to God in prayer for a moment?
Our God and Father who art in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, to be together today, to have an opportunity to study from Your Word. We pray, Lord, that You will open our minds and open our hearts as we stop and study together and we think about our relationship with You and how precious that relationship is and how we should strive to lay hold of and maintain our attachment to You and not allow ourselves to be distracted and attached to other things in this life. Father, we are so grateful to You that You have provided Your Word so that we can see how You would want us to live and how we should act in, in our everyday life. Father, please bless us as we study. Please bless us as we live our life that we can be a faithful, that we can be faithful to You and can be an example to others to show them how wonderful it is to be one of Your children. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's consider for a moment the lost son, and we'll begin by, by looking at the misery of the son's lostness. You know, running away from God starts by feeling free. It's this thing that I'm no longer shackled by the Word of God. I'm free. I can go and do whatever I want to. And it begins on such a high note. It begins and it feels good. But so oftentimes, as we see here with this particular son, it ends in misery. Verse 13, And not many days later, after the son had asked for his inheritance, it says that the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. This word loose here that, that's used means a wild and abandoned and a reckless type of manner. He goes out and he, he has his money, he has his freedom, he goes to a distant country and he lives it up. He parties as hard as he can. He has no regard for the name that he has. You remember in this, in, in this time, the name that you carried represented not only yourself, but your father and your, your, your house. And to carry yourself or to disgrace your name was to also disgrace the name of your father and of your, of your father's house. This young man had no care for his name. He went and he lived recklessly and he abandoned everything that he had known. And you can imagine this young man, if he goes out, he feels so good at first. There's so much freedom. I can do whatever I want to. I don't have to answer to anybody. It's like jumping out of, a, out of an airplane going skydiving, and you realize, man, this is such a freedom. You're up here, and then suddenly something happens, and you realize, wait a minute, I don't have a parachute. And that sense of freedom suddenly becomes a sense of terror. That's what happened to this young man, because what does it say in verse 14? Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. He was living his life to the fullest. He, he had freedom. He had everything. He had joy. He had friends. He had stuff. He was high flying, and then suddenly he realized, I'm flying without a net. Then he came crashing to the ground. You think the timing of this, of this particular famine was coincidental? You think there was a reason behind this? We've seen God do things like this before, cause things to happen to try and help someone come to their senses. Do you think there was a reason? Do you think there was a pattern? Do you think there was a, a greater, a greater uh, cause going on here? And it says he went and he attached himself to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. 
when he had been attached to his father, when this young man had been attached to his father, had he ever had to feed swine? No. Had he, ever, had he ever had to go hungry? No. Why? Because he was attached to his father. But when he had broken that attachment from his father, look at where he is. He's out in, he, he has attached himself to someone else, and he is feeding swine out in the field. Brethren, when we break our attachment from God, we will become attached to something else. We will become attached to perhaps our job. We'll become attached to a sport. We'll become attached to a hobby. Perhaps even we go so far as to become attached to drugs or to alcohol or to illicit sexual uh, relationships. When we break our, our attachment to God, we will become attached to something else. And here's the thing, whether our attachment is crude or whether it is something refined, eventually what happens is we wind up feeding the swine. Because the true attachment, that true arrangement that we should have with our God has been broken. And so just like this young man was sent out to feed the swine, and eventually where did he wind up? He wound up at the swine troughs hoping that he could eat something out of it. That's exactly what will happen to us. If we break our attachment from God and we become attached to something worldly, eventually where we're going to wind up will be at the swine troughs. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be for several years. But that's where this is, that's where this is leading us. Verse 16 says, He was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Now tell me something. Was this young man meant to be filled by the pods that the swine were, were eating? Of course not. We see that his father obviously had money, that his father obviously was well off. What do you think this son had been filled on all of his life? He had been filled on good food. Was he meant to be filled by these pods that the swine were eating? No. Well, are we meant to be filled by what the world can offer to us? Are we meant to be filled by the pleasures that, let me say this, the passing pleasure that the world offers to us? Of course not. We are meant to be filled by God. We are meant to be filled by His Word, by His bread, by His life. If we take ourselves away from that, we are filling ourselves with garbage. It won't matter whether we are it won't matter whether we are worth nine nine million dollars or whether we are the richest person in the world or whether we are top the Forbes list or any of those kind of things. It won't matter what we have filled ourselves with, it will be garbage because it's not being filled with what God intended us to be filled with. You see how miserable this, this son is? You see truly how lost he is? He has gone from, from being attached to his father and being fed with the greatest things that his father can offer to now he has attached himself to some stranger who has put him out with the swine and he wishes that he could eat what they were eating. How much more lost can you get? So 
But notice the, the nature of his repentance. Verse 17, to me, verse 17, the, the, the first part of it is just, it's almost poetic the way, the way that Luke writes, or the way that, that Christ, uh, the way that Christ said it. But when he came to his senses, literally what that means is when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. I want to know three things about this quickly. First off, he came to himself. When we have engrossed ourselves in sin, when we have allowed ourselves to be detached from our God, and we have engrossed ourselves in, in, in the world and in sin, I think the idea that, is being, that, that, that we're getting to here is we are not ourselves. Because whose image are we made in? We are made in the image of God. Who are we to be, uh, who are we to be patterning ourselves after? It's Christ. So when we allow ourselves to be drowned in sin, when we allow ourselves to be caught up in it, we are no longer ourselves. We have become a shadow of who we should be. This young man was not a pig feeder. He was not someone who was to be sitting out in, with the swine, feeding them, wishing he could eat what they, what they ate. He was the son of a rich man. He was the son of a good man. He was not being himself. And so what did he do? He came to himself. He realized who he was and who he could be. And he humbled himself. It says he, you know, he, he looked at himself and he said, I have sinned against heaven and in the sight of my Father. I am no longer worthy to be called his son. Do you notice what he doesn't do here? He doesn't make an excuse. He doesn't stop and say, well, it was the people I was with. Well, you know, I just... It, you know, my brother ragged me so many times. Well, it was this. Well, no, what does he do? In humble, brokenheartedness, he says, I am not worthy because I have sinned. See, part of his repentance was this deep sense of how horribly offensive what he had done had been to his father. Well, when we, found, when we find ourselves sinking in this deep pit of sin, we can't make excuses. We can't say, well, these people caused me to do it, or my spouse did this, or the life that I've been dealt is this, and that's what... We can't do that. It has to be this broken-hearted humbleness, realizing that the, that the things that we have done have been so offensive against God. We are not worthy to be in His presence. And that's what this son felt. He didn't feel like he was worthy to be the son anymore. 
and he wanted to be a servant. The third part of his repentance is casting himself upon his father's mercy. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. Now I will get up and I will go to my father. I want you to notice something very carefully here. At this point, many people, I think, make a terrible mistake in the way that they try to come home to God. This son, this lost son, is willing to come home to his father and be a servant rather than a son. Is he looking at it from the standpoint of, well, surely my father won't accept me back as a son, but I will go and I will be a servant to him and he can be in charge of me and, and I, will, uh, I will, you know, Jump when he says jump, and I will be his servant. And you know, surely that's 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 the best that I can do is I can be a servant to him. I don't think that's where he's going here. I think rather the idea is he's saying, my father has so much, my father is so merciful, my father is so graceful that even his servants have more than I have. It's the idea that surely the crumbs that fall from his table is better than what I have here. My father is so abundantly giving that surely he would let me be one of his servants. He treats his servants so well. You see, the idea is it's the focus on the incredible bounty and the incredible generosity that we have so traded for the foolishness of sin. You know, repentance is believing that God is so great and that God is so good that the smallest enjoyments in His house are better than 10,000 worlds without Him. And that's what this son realizes. This son realizes, you know what? If I can just go and be, be, the, be the lowest of the servants in my father's house, it is so much better than being where I am. And with that, the boy heads home. He goes back towards his father's house. And now what we see is we see the lavish enthusiasm of this father as the boy comes home. Look at verse 20. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him. When we come home to God out of the sins of the world, what do we expect to find? What do you think this son expect, expected to find when he came out of this world of riotous living and this world of poverty that he had found himself in? What did he expect to find when he came home? Well, I think we get a good idea of what we can expect from God when we come home out of this verse. I think there are six pictures that you see in this verse. Don't worry, I don't have six more huge points from six small ones and we'll be done. Look at this. Look at verse 20. The son got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. The father was, was not too busy 
to be, to be stopping and watching for his son. The father was not too preoccupied with everything else to not have time to stop and to look to see if his son was coming. His son was still a long ways off and his father saw him. It's the idea that his father was standing out and he was looking, he was hoping to see somebody coming. And he sees his son. When we come home to God, God is not too busy to see us coming. God is not too caught up in the affairs of everything else that He doesn't have time for us. If we are living in sin and we want to come home to God, God is, you can picture it in your mind, God is standing there and He is watching, He is looking for you and to see you a long way off coming home. What was the second thing that this man did? It says, and he ran towards his son. Now, I want you to think about this. This is a middle-aged man. The owner of a significant estate. He had servants at his beck and call. He was probably what we would refer to as high society. There was a certain decorum that he was probably expected to maintain. There was dignity. Such people as this man don't run. They have other people run for them. Unless it's his son who was lost coming home. You see, decorum and everything else was thrown aside. Everything else didn't matter anymore because that lost son who was gone, who he thought would be dead, is now coming back to him. Can you picture in your mind God looking at us that way? Can you picture in your mind God loving you so much that He sees you and He's running towards you? He wants you home so bad? Verse 20. He embraced him. And he kissed him. You know, we could probably bring tears to our eyes when we think about friends that we know of, loved ones, family members, brothers and sisters of those who, that one person who we, who we wish so badly would come home. That they would come home from sin. They would come home from alienation. They would come home from that unbelief, from their hard-heartedness. And we can think about how greatly it would be to see them humble themselves to God and, be, and become one of His children. How greatly we would love to hug them and kiss them and cry with them and rejoice with them. You see, we need to know God in this way. In that way where God is pure and God is physical and He wants to embrace us. He wants to hold us. He wants to love us. You notice what this father didn't do? This father didn't run out to his son and get right up to him and say, all right, boy, you stop right there. I've got some things to say to you. He didn't hold him at arm's length. What did he do? He embraced him. He pulled him in. He kicked him because his son was home. God is not going to look at us and, and as we're coming home, He's not going to stop us and hold us at arm's length and say, now hang on a minute. If we come back to God, God is going to embrace us. 
and He's going to love us and He's going to forgive us because He has told us He would do so. He has said that's what He that, that's what He would do, and that's what He wants to do for us. The son makes his confession to his father. You know, I want, I, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I sinned against you and in your sight. Please make me as one of your servants. The father basically ignores him. The son makes, you can almost, you can almost, I, I picture this in my mind. The son has been rehearsing this on his way home. He's walking up there, I have sinned against you and in your sight. And, and, you know, he's been rehearsing it. And he comes up and he finally says it to his father. And what does his father say? His father turns around to his servants. Quickly bring out the robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. The father completely almost ignored what his son had said. Why? Because it's this lavish welcome of the father. The best robe. The robe of sonship. Not the robe of slavery. The robe of full, lavish, enthusiastic, unrestricted restoration to the family. Putting that ring on his finger and that robe on him and sandals on his feet. The father completely welcomed his son back home. He put him back in the family. And then finally, what did they do? They celebrated. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and be merry. This father, you can't imagine the joy that this father felt when his son came back home. You can't imagine the relief and just the the joy that this man had when that lost son finally came back home. So often times, maybe this is just me, but I, I, I would sort of think that we all feel this way. So often times we think about God and we think about He has so many people. He has so many things to take care of. He has so many things that He's watching over and so many things that He's doing and I'm just one of the billions. No, you're not. You're not just one of the billions. You are His son. You are His daughter. You are special to Him. And if you've gone off the way, if you you have detached yourself from Him, what this story tells us right here is, He hurts. He misses you. He wants you home. He's standing there watching for you, waiting for you, hoping that He's going to look and see you on the horizon coming back home. He so desperately wants to welcome you back into the family. He wants to bring you back in again and embrace you and kiss you and hug you. Because you are His son and you are His daughter. And He loves you. This was probably a pretty good party, wasn't it? They probably brought out everything. But think about the rejoicing that goes on in heaven. When someone who has lost their way comes back home to God. Think about what that rejoicing is like. Think about what those songs of praise are like. 
probably pretty awesome. Have you detached yourself from God? Are you walking down that path that right now maybe it feels free? Maybe it feels good. Maybe it feels like there's nothing that's ever going to go wrong. But you know that you're leaving your father behind. Won't you come home? Won't you allow your father to embrace you? To hug you? To love you? As far as that's concerned, won't you allow us to hug you? And to embrace you and to show you how glad we are that you are back with your father and are back with your family. God is watching. He's waiting for you. Won't you please come home? Can we help you now as we stand together and sing?